It is little wonder that rape is one of the least reported crimes. Perhaps it is the only crime in which the victim becomes the accused. Frida Adler. A listener's note, this series includes descriptions of violence, sexual assault, and grooming. It is not recommended for young audiences. The People vs. Robichaud and Riley is an ongoing case. At the time of this episode's original air date, the defendants had not been convicted of any crimes alleged against them. From Justine Harmon and Audio Chuck, this is O.C. Swingers, Chapter 8, Cowboy Up. She slept for years on a bench in a park. She made some passes at man in the dark. They began running alone through the night. When she began loving, they put up no fight. Anytime I walk someone through the timeline and facts of this case, they always ask me the same questions. What are they doing? Are they working? Are they partying? And this whole time, Grant and Sarissa are just, what, out in the world? Are they still together? Well. When they first moved in, he came in real bouncy and like jovial. So it's like snowing and he'll wear like board shorts and Ugg boots. This is Shannon. She asked that I not use her last name. Shannon was living and working in a community of condos in Mammoth, a ski village located about six hours north of Newport, when she couldn't help but notice the new renters in the corner unit. While Grant and Sarissa were waiting to see what would happen with the case in early 2020, they moonlit as erstwhile ski bums. The way Shannon describes it, the whole setup was kind of like Shit's Creek. They would pop into Shannon's office during business hours to grab their Amazon packages or to complain about water pressure. It's not nice. It's not Newport nice. You know what I mean? It's mammoth. It's rustic. Definitely rustic. It's that particular unit. Like, it doesn't have Formica countertops, but some of them do, you know? But it doesn't have granite countertops either. I mean, it probably had tile countertops, so like 80s, 90s, you know? At first, Shannon couldn't place the couple. But then, when she did... She couldn't shake how unbothered Grant seemed. He said that he was self-employed. He worked from home. It was like almost a caricature that he always had a red solo cup in his hand. It's snowing. Do you know what I mean? Like people aren't partying at the beach or... <laughs> if he would come in to check for a package or something, he'd have a red... It was like to the point where I made a point of it. You know what I mean? I would make jokes about it. Oh, look, at it. don't drink out of a solo cup with that guy. <laughs> you know? Sarissa was sweet, quiet, she was often on the phone with her mom. But still, she didn't exactly blend in. She's pretty darn cute, too. My male friends definitely noticed her, you know, And but she wears a lot of makeup, a lot of hair. You know, like when you go snowboarding, nobody really does that past 16 or whatever, you know. <laughs> but she was, all, she was pretty made up all the time. She's real soft-spoken and nice, and she doesn't come off as dingy or dumb at all, you know, but I wouldn't say that intelligent either. She seemed real sad. She told me her name, and I had like a moment of, I know that name. How do I know his face? And I know her name. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, crap, that's exactly where. <laughs> but I told everybody, and it's like I would send everybody on text chains or whatever to all my girls, and they were like, oh, no. But nobody cared. 
I just was shocked to see them together, to be honest with you. I was like, what? That she stayed with him? That's amazing. Shannon has a 16-year-old daughter, and these two were out on $1 million bail each, just soaking in the property's communal hot tub. It didn't sit right with her. We have a sauna and a jacuzzi. They utilize the jacuzzi a lot. And so of my neighbor and I, we would make a point that we saw them in the jacuzzi with other, we have a lot of like, not transient people, but people that come for the weekend and leave, you know, and they're just renting a place just to ski for the weekend. Our town's like 8,000 people. And then it expounds to like 20 and 30,000 on the weekends, right? And it's all bars. So if we saw them in the jacuzzi, we would make a point of one of us to walk by. And I would always be like, hi, Grant, or you know, <laughs> like, just so that we see you there. I mean, I wouldn't even know the number to tell you of how many bars we have in our town. And I could drive to all four corners of town in five minutes. I just wasn't comfortable with it. And then when nobody knew, and our town is so small, like when my daughter turned 16, all the police and all the firemen, every public utility or whatever, they had a parade for her, like a birthday parade. You know, so I go, how is it possible that he can leave the county, right? You should have to notify the incoming county or the incoming county should have to approve him or or whatever. Be aware. He has to check in there, even if he is just out on bail. And they said, well, it, we're very, very interested. It is an open case. We did not know that he was there, but there's no reason really that we would find out because it's a bail issue. And so if the judge said they could go, they can go. And he said, we're glad to hear that we now know where he is, but you know, you don't really have anything to worry about as long as your daughter doesn't party with them. (laughs) And I was like, like, well, okay. Do you remember who you spoke with in the district attorney's office? I do not remember, but I do remember uh, I first spoke with a woman and then it was actually, his title was something along the lines of criminal sexual investigator or whatever. And he was assigned to that case specifically. Was it Eric Wiseman? Yes, it was Eric Wiseman. And he said to you, your daughter should be fine as long as she doesn't party? Yeah. I go, well, yeah, yeah, as long as you don't party with them. That's what they told me. That's crazy. (laughs) I thought it was crazy, too. I asked the DA's office whether Eric Wiseman told a concerned citizen that her 16-year-old daughter would be fine around a couple charged with raping and drugging women as long as she didn't party with them and was told by a public information officer via text, this is an AG case now. I responded, so no comment on the validity of the purported statement by Eric Wiseman, and was told, we aren't in a position to comment, given it is being handled by another prosecutorial agency. On Good Morning America, they said they'd been living in exile, receiving death threats, that had all been like a bad nightmare. But if Grant and Sarissa were having a hard time, they weren't letting on to their neighbors in Mammoth. It's kind of offensive when I just watched the GMA thing today. And they were like, oh, they're so tortured or whatever, right? They were totally anonymous. In our, like, he was not tortured. He pranced around or whatever he, he, all the time. He just did whatever he wanted to do all the time. It was like it was like a vacation is what it is. Vacation life. That's They just played all the time. He would seem like the happy, like a little leprechaun. That's what he seemed like. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he's always like, he has like a little jaunt in his step. He's always on his way somewhere. Grant still had the same cell phone number listed on the search warrant affidavit. Shannon sent me a picture of it written on a scrap piece of paper. You know, that's weird. You would think he would have had, I would think they would have had to change it five times by now. That's what I would think. They're getting like, he said he was getting hate mail and stuff. No, nobody even recognizes him. And you know what? He gets a lot of smiles from girls though. He's pretty good looking. Last episode, you heard from Mike Fell, the attorney for Jane Doe number four. He and I spoke immediately following that triumphant day in August 2020, when it was announced that the case against Grant and Sarissa would now be handled by the Attorney General's office. 
want to add, if I may, Justine, you know, my client, I think what happened today really helped my client in her restoration of her faith in the criminal system. But faith in the criminal system can be a fickle thing. On January 6th, 2021, nearly five months after the AG began its own investigation, Mike Fell and I reconnected on the eve of yet another pretrial hearing. Let's just say things weren't exactly full steam ahead. Hello? Hi, I'm, I'm looking for Mike Fell. Yeah, can you hold on just one second? Of course. Hi, Justine. <laughs> Hi. I was I was um I was doing something very important. I was getting the uh, separating the grease from the hamburger meat. It's sorry, a hard <laughs> focused task. I understand. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I was hoping I could just talk to you for a few minutes on the record. Do you have a moment? Yeah, yeah. Let me go into the other room. Cool. Okay, go for it. Okay, so what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? I did talk to the deputy attorney general who's handling this case, Miss mm-hmm. Martinez. It sounds like they've got quite a bit of work to do. So my understanding is that she's asking for um, a couple more months Ugh. to be able to uh, to work on the case. And it also sounds like the defense is not objecting to that. So that's kind of where we are. And how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I want the right thing to happen. I want them to make sure that they're reviewing everything. I think we're going to set up a meeting so that my client can definitely you know, talk to the, the attorney general. So, um, you know, her voice is heard, which is, you know, going to be extremely important. You know, the frustrating part for me as a Marcy's law attorney is that I don't get the reports. I don't get all the evidence they have. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the district attorney or the attorney general or somebody says, hey, here's our review of the case or like with the DA saying we can't make the case, it's tough because being a former DA, I feel like saying, hey, give me the evidence. I'll tell you if you can make the case or not. Yeah. But that's not something that can be shared with me. So it really puts me in a very precarious situation. And I don't like being in that situation. I like, you know, in my situation, I've got a victim who I implicitly believe. And in my mind, the people who perpetrated the violence against her should be thoroughly prosecuted. The AG's office has had the amount of time that the DA's office had to review the evidence. I just imagine the continuance will frustrate someone, no, other than me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's always frustrating because, yeah. I mean, hey, from my client's point of view, yes. I mean, this is years. This is years in the making. Years. But I think, you know, there's the old saying, the wheels of justice turn slowly. And we're definitely seeing that in this case. Yeah. So I definitely want the AG not to rush into anything one way or another. I want them to be able to fully review all the evidence that they have so that hopefully Mr. Robichaud and Ms. Riley will be, you know, properly prosecuted. So when we spoke just for a moment earlier, you said you were on the other line with Matt Murphy. Are you guys in alignment with the outcome that you're expecting tomorrow? Well, yeah. I mean, the bottom line is there's not really going to be an outcome tomorrow. There's so much information. There's so much to look at, I would never want to rush a prosecutor. I wouldn't want anybody to rush me when I'm trying to do the right thing. Not to get overly political, but you may remember what was going on in this country on January 6th, 2021, the day I connected with Mike Fell over the phone. 
It was the day that insurrectionists stormed the nation's Capitol building. One of the darkest days in American history. Thousands of Trump supporters stormed, ransacked, and looted the Capitol building yesterday as Congress met to count the electoral votes of our free and fair presidential election. To me, at least, it felt like one of those days where you have to tell the truth about the country we live in, about who gets the benefit of due process and who doesn't. I'm actually on the phone with the attorney general today, and she's like, oh, my God, is it crazy what's going on today? And I'm like, oh, you mean with the uh, elections in Georgia for Senate? And she goes, no, it's what's happening in D.C. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, turn on the TV, look at what's going on at the White House. Yeah. And then my assistant and I look it up on the computer and you're like, what is going on? So, yeah, it is crazy times. And then as far as, you know, bringing it back to the justice system and bringing it back to due process, you know, it's tough because you want everybody to have due process. So on the one hand, you've had this case that's been going on for a couple of years and the defendants are getting, quote unquote, due process. But then you look at my client, is my client getting due process? Because my client's just waiting to see what the next step is, and we're so far from the next step. So, yeah, yeah it's difficult. It's very difficult. No one is talking about this story. You mean with our case? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what happens is as things go on and on and on, people get a little bit, I don't want to say less interested, but things cool down. And then as things happen again, they may spark up again, they may not. Or people move on to the next story. Obviously, in my client's life, this is one of the biggest things that, that she's ever been involved with. And, right. and she wants to see justice. And she's being very, very patient, as are the rest of the women, and hopefully getting that in this case. Okay, well, I don't know. I'm sort of like, this thing is never going to go their way, is kind of where I'm at this point. But I guess it sounds like it's kind of a non-event. It, yeah, it should be. Matter of fact, the last that I was told, which is what I'm going on, is that it's all going to be on WebEx, which is basically the court's version of Zoom. Yeah. So we're just going to be in there, you know, and be on Zoom. And I'm sure that, you know, the case will be called. The attorney general is going to make her pitch for a continuance. Everyone will probably make our appearances and then it'll be over. I can't imagine it'll be more than a couple of minutes. OK, so spoiler alert. What Mike Fell thought was going to happen on January 7th, 2021, yeah, that couple of minutes over WebEx, that's not exactly what happened. Deputy AG Yvette Martinez kicks things off by saying that the AG's office is still waiting on some digital discovery, some videos and some photos, and would like to request a 60-day continuance. She says... It's been exceedingly difficult to ascertain whether or not we, in fact, have all of the discovery we are entitled to. The defense, the same people who are rushing the case to trial as soon as it landed in the AG's hands, has no objection. The judge then asked for comment from Matt Murphy, the victim's attorney. You'll remember that he's the Marcy's Law Counsel for Jane Doe's 1, 6, 7, and 8. In California, victims' rights attorneys can speak up on behalf of the victims at all relevant court proceedings. Yeah, Matt says. I have an objection. He starts. What we just listened to is pretty extraordinary. The attorney general has had this case for six months, and we just heard the attorney general say that they did not have all the discovery. So this is this is symptomatic of the ongoing issue that we have had with the district attorney's office. He says he doesn't want to relitigate everything that has happened so far. 
but he needs to make the court aware of a few things. That de novo review they did in the DA's office, the one where Spitzer was hands-off so his team could come to their own conclusion, that was bullshit. There's this, this ongoing pattern of interference by Mr. Spitzer. We're thinking, once they're off the case, we're going to be good. Like, the, the integrity is to be restored. Ms. Martinez seems like a very nice prosecutor, very nice person. The victims, he's saying, are expecting this thing to move forward with fairness. And with Todd Spitzer continuing to keep his thumb firmly on the case, that has not happened. It's been six months since the AG took over the case. How is it possible that they still don't have all of the discovery from the OCDA? Four women who say they were raped by the defendant, he says. We're trying to work with everybody, but I got to tell you, No one's talking to my clients from the AG's office. They haven't talked to Jennifer Kearns to find out what she knows. I know that Todd Spitzer is personally reaching out to the new prosecutors, and that stinks. And that stinks. Matt Murphy, the only lawyer physically present in court that day, begins to read excerpts from some documents he has come into internal memos from the DA's office that he says prove Todd Spitzer is still meddling in the case. This person says that Spitzer was personally calling this person on the over review team telling her... Todd was on a plane, someone from an internal review team is quoted as saying. And I was listening to this and that, and I was like, wow, he's really into this. Murphy goes through other documents. There's one that clears former DA investigator Jennifer Kearns' name. One that shows Todd Spitzer is stonewalling his own team. And another alleging that Spitzer's motion to dismiss, filed under insufficient evidence, contains numerous, quote, unsupported allegations, misstatements, untruths, and factually wrong conclusions. And I looked it up. And truth is a lie. It's one thing to leave something out. Something else to lie to a court. The few people present in the courtroom are clearly stunned by the turn of events. Around the 18-minute mark, you can actually hear someone whispering in hushed tones, tell him to go on the YouTube. The hearing, which Mike Fell assured me would only be a few minutes tops, goes on for 42 minutes. Murphy insists that Todd Spitzer is impeding the AG's ability to learn the case. It's like we're back at square one, he says. It's like we're starting all over again. This is fundamentally unfair to the victims. If the AG really wants to understand this thing, he says, he'd be happy to share evidence with them. There are incriminating text messages and photographs. We got photographs of the blows close by. I got photographs of injuries on this guy. He said photographs of injuries on this guy. As in, he's seen a photograph of an injury sustained by Grant the night of an alleged attack. And the AG hasn't. But I'll just, let's just get on the same page. If there's going to be another motion to dismiss, okay, uh, we're not going to walk that. And, and you can bring that on because I got, like, we, there's no way, given the evidence in this case, that it's going to happen. So the AG needs to cowboy up or they need to find stuff across here. Yes. He literally said that the Attorney General of California needs to cowboy up. Judge Pham seems flustered. Thank you, Ms. Murphy, for the presentation. But I just want all parties to um, understand that I allow Mr. Murphy to make a presentation to represent his clients who are the uh, complaining witnesses in this case, pursuant to Murphy's law. 
This is not uh, in relation to any motion or any request for this court to do anything. Certainly, this court is not in a position to tell the Attorney General's office how to do their job as far as contacting the victim or interviewing the victim, nor is it this court's uh, job right now to decide whether there's been any ethical violation on um, the part of any attorney or office that is not a party to this action at this time. So with that then, I believe that we've concluded the presentation on behalf of the victims in this case. Uh, Mr. Bell, is that correct or did you have something else to add? Mr. Bell, can you hear me? Uh, no, no, yes, I can now. I see it. Yvette Martinez from the AG's office chimes in. I want to assure the court, counsel, and the victim that we are conducting a very thorough and independent review of the case. I want to assure the court counsel and the victims that we are conducting a very thorough and independent review of the case, she says. It is true that Investigator Kearns informed us that she cannot speak to us. However, however, we do have both from the other. Perhaps I need to explain to the court more detail the discovery issue that we are facing that it may not be as nefarious as presented by Mr. Murphy. So we received the discovery issue that Matt Murphy was referring to may not be all that nefarious, she says. There are thousands and thousands of videos and photographs in the case file provided by the DA's office. It's a voluminous case, and things were delivered to them in an unorganized fashion. Things may just be mislabeled. I am doing our due diligence to make sure that we do, in fact, have all of the evidence, Yvette Martinez assures the court. We are proceeding methodically and independent of the district attorney's office. Matt Murphy just absolutely goes for broke at this point. We're all here, he says. Has Totspitzer ever personally reached out to you? Has Totspitzer ever, you got kept out of this case for conflict? Has he personally tried to patch up with you? You don't need to answer that, the judge says. You know, this is. Um, this is Philip Cohen. Yeah, this is Philip Cohen. Yeah. This is Philip Cohen on behalf of defending what the show made the court. Uh, allow me to respond since my client has somewhat of an interest in this case. Um, respond in what way, Mr. Cohen? Uh, I allowed Mr. Murphy to make a statement on behalf of the victims and Mr. Fell as well. Uh, we don't have a motion before us, and so I don't, there, I don't require any response to the, a victim's statement. It's almost like a victim's impact statement. So this is not. Okay, your Honor. I, I, okay. Go ahead. Your Honor, it, your Honor. I, I, I'm sorry. I will be very brief. Okay. My, my only, my, my only request is Mr. Murphy made mention of some documents regarding uh, investigator firms that were being requested by Mr. Murphy to be filed under seal. I would object to any under seal filing by Mr. Murphy to the extent that Marcy's attorneys has documents regarding investigator crimes that the defense does not have, I find that problematic as well. So I would ask the court 
to file whatever Marcy wants to file, but I do not believe there's any basis or cause shown to file it under seal. If the court is inclined to file it under seal, I would ask that a motion be filed and a hearing be set as to whether the documents should be sealed. Well, that's fair enough, Mr. Marcus. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, all right, so are you intending to file any documents today? Yes. That's not under seal? Yes. Okay, and if there's anything that you want to be filed under seal, I would anticipate that and expect that you will be filing a motion uh, hereafter, correct? Yes, ma'am. All right. Mr. Kohler, are you satisfied? Thank you, All right. All right, is there anything further on this matter from the um, prosecutor? <laughs> All right, from the defense on behalf of Mr. Robichaud. No, thank you. On behalf of Ms. Riley. No, thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Murphy? No, Your Honor. Mr. Zell? No, thank you, Your Honor. All right, thank you all very much for your appearances. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Next time on OC Swingers. Oh, shit. No, wait. Thank you, Your Honor. Oh, hold on. Disconnect. Um, I'm going to order that both defendants be allowed to appear on 977 through their attorney until further notice. 977, as in Grant and Sarissa, will no longer have to appear in court for the foreseeable future. Is that agreeable with all parties involved? Ms. Martinez? Yes, sir. And Mr. Cohen? I think we lost. Yes, sir. And two more quick. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Next time on OC Swingers. When I was saying no, it was like he wasn't even hearing me. He just kept going at it. It was like he had no concept of personal autonomy, like no concept of consent, no concept of no. I think of it as a good thing on some level that I can't remember a lot of it because it probably is really terrifying and I would probably never leave my house again. Our goal is to be able to have our clients take the stand and tell a jury what Mr. Robichaud and Ms. Riley did to them. OC Swingers is an Audio Chuck original, executive produced by Ashley Flowers, and created, written, and reported by me, Justine Harmon. It was produced by Josh McLaughlin, editing and sound designed by David Flowers, with additional research and fact-checking by Barbara Keene. Special thanks to Michael Carey, Ann Dibel, and Anna Hendrick of Quest Investigates, and Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. So Chuck, do you approve?